I'm an activist. Welcome to another episode of the Sunrise El Paso podcast. My name is Desiree and I am an organizer with the Sunrise Movement El Paso. I'm here with my co-host. I'll let him introduce himself. I am Luis Miranda. I'm also an organizer with Sunrise El Paso. And um, this episode will be on Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primary. It'll be a series of these. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, as, as Luis just said, um, the Democratic primary and a little bit about how that's been affected by COVID-19 and how both candidates have reacted to the pandemic. And so I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about why we decided to do this podcast now. So you might be seeing a lot in the news, people you know, saying that Bernie Sanders' nomination is basically dead and over and he should give up and drop out. And so we wanted to kind of talk about and justify why we still think yeah. that having this conversation is is important and will continue to be important through the remainder of the election cycle and beyond. So Luis, you want to go into a little bit about is it true that Bernie Sanders does not have a path to victory at this point? Yeah, so um, first of all, I guess it's, it's hard to think about like the primary still going on with how universal uh, the virus is, right? It takes over everything. It feels like it, like it has taken over every aspect of people's lives. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the primary is happening and the primary is important. And Bernie has a chance because of just the raw numbers, you know, that the math that there's left, uh, even if he doesn't have a chance, it is a democratic primary. He has a right as a candidate to run as long as he wants uh, for whatever purpose he desires. Every candidate, like Tom Steyer, he uh, ran not because he wanted to win, but because he wanted to push the party to the left. That is what he claimed, even though we all know that he's not the most left candidate on stage. Yeah. Um, so to answer that question, I guess, the best way to do it is to say that Bernie Sanders is down in the delegate count, but following the principle of democracy, every single state should get a chance to vote, uh, their voices heard, and to have those voices have equal weight to all the states that have already voted. So I, I think just on that standpoint alone, you know, it's a democratic primary. Let's let it run like one, right? Uh, it's not about how many chances he has, but it's about the battle of ideas, about how the party moves forward from there. Yeah, that's a very interesting thing that, that you just said right now, that, that each state deserves to have their voice heard. And if people are saying right now um, that Joe Biden is essentially the nominee, then they're completely discounting every state that hasn't primaried yet, right? So that's just a wild notion to tell all those people and all of those states who haven't voted yet that their vote essentially doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we still have uh, one, two, we have like a lot, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was like starting to count them, but yeah, we have a lot. We still have Wisconsin, Alaska, Wyoming, Puerto Rico, Ohio, Guam, Kansas, Nebraska, West Virginia, Georgia, Oregon, Hawaii, Connecticut, Delaware, District of Columbia, Indiana, Maryland, Montana, New Jersey, New, jo- New Mexico, Pennsylvania. Rhode Island, South Dakota, the U.S. Virgin Islands, Louisiana, Kentucky, and New York. Like, that is a lot of the country. Yeah. In particular, like, look, look at all the East Coast that's still missing. Like, that, um, that's a huge population centers that have not been counted at all. Mm-hmm. And we're just outright saying New York City doesn't matter as far as, the like, territories. You said Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. 
Yeah, Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. New Mexico hasn't gotten a chance to vote. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's something that affects us here locally because New Mexico's economy and New Mexico's political climate is, is very relevant to El Paso. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, everyone who's talking about that is saying that every every state I just listed off, which I know it was a long list, but that's kind of the point. It's that all those people's voices matter. So I think just that argument is in bad faith. You know, should Bernie win? It, should, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we hold a, a, a primary that is um, focused on having people's voices heard. And mm-hmm. what you're essentially asking for Bernie to drop out because there's no one else running is you're basically asking for a convention to a uh, primary to end. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, just so that you, Joe can spend more time flubbering around fighting against Trump? Like, is that even something that Biden supporters want, you know? Yeah. So, okay, so we, we kind of established that why, why it's still important to continue on with these primaries, but I want to go back a second and kind of um, explain for our listeners, or have you explain rather, um, what the process is of the primaries. Just, you know, I, I think it's something that's not necessarily a lot of people understand in its complexities, so I was hoping you could go a little bit into that process. Okay, yeah, I can totally do that. And it is a very convoluted process. Uh, so I don't fault anyone for not really like understanding what happens. Because uh, it is like, you know, people vote and then it goes into uh, each precinct has a, a number of delegates based on uh, how many citizens vote. And then those are sent all into a county and then that county chooses other delegates and then they send those delegates into the state, you know, and each delegate, you know, you get to pick, uh, or at least in El Paso County, you know, you submit um, a little form. Sorry, I'm like jumping all over the place. So I'll, I'll, I'll just go from the beginning. So like I went to and voted mm-hmm. and I want to keep being involved in the process, right? Yeah. So I want to be involved in my Democrat, local Democratic Party. So I signed up. And it's a little different because of COVID-19. So I'll just go with the COVID-19 rules. Um, you go and you fill out a form in your county party's website, uh, whichever county you're in, um, you should have this form available to you through that county website. And you um, basically submit the that you want to attend, that you want to join the convention, which is basically where they have the party meet and then they set out like general policy goals and guidelines and different things. And among those things is choosing delegates to represent presidential candidates. So mm-hmm. I don't know the exact math, but for every certain amount of people who vote, you know, they get one delegate to represent them. So like a precinct can have multiple delegates, for example, in my precinct, um, even, even though, uh, Bernie Sanders lost, he still gets a certain amount of delegates because he won a certain amount of votes. So mm-hmm. I would be one of his delegates. And when you sign up to the convention, you can put in there whether or not you want to run as a delegate. Ideally, you would have to compete, right? Because you would imagine that there's a lot of people who want to be involved. Usually that's not the case. Usually if you sign up to be a delegate, you will end up being a delegate at your county level. Mm-hmm. Um, then you basically caucus and then based on those results, uh, you send new delegates to represent the county as a whole into the state 
convention. So because can you, of COVID, can you go back drag and draft really quick. Um, so you yeah. said the you caucus. So what was that whole process that went from? Basically, um, and this process didn't happen because of COVID nineteen. So there was no actual physical county convention, but uh, caucusing is like if you've seen Iowa's um, primary. I mean, caucus, uh, sorry, uh, you kind of have seen what it looks like. It basically is like you have people who show up. Like, I want to uh, be delegates for um, Bernie, right? Mm -hmm. Have all these delegates for Bernie. Uh, but we only have so many spots. So then you have to like nominate people to be delegates for Bernie. Mm -hmm. and, and then you, you know, um, you get into groups and, and you kind of physically pick who's going to be there. It, it's a very, yeah, so it's very similar to to how Iowa's caucus works. Um, that's kind of more or less how caucuses work. There's they're very um, archaic and kind of awkward, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of criticisms of them. For example, um, if your spouse happens to not have the same political views as you, you might feel a little pressured to not walk over to someone else. You know, if you're caucusing with them. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's things like that. So I don't, you know, it is what it is. I don't think that it's the most um, direct way. A lot of people would imagine, would say that uh, having just each individual vote counted and then have that just be the system, you know, like who has the majority and that be that is much better. I am in that camp. I don't think that delegates are, they're just inherently undemocratic. It just kind of centralizes things more and it makes it harder and com more convoluted mm -hmm. to know how people get chosen. For example, uh, I mean, this year there will be 4,750 delegates total for the national convention. Mm -hmm. uh, 3,979 of those delegates are um, pledged delegates. So that means that they're pledged on by how people vote. So uh, the delegates in your county are like how I just explained. They're pledged mm -hmm. on because of the voting, they're assigned automatically to the candidate who earned those delegates. But 771 of those delegates are automatically delegates or more commonly known as superdelegates. So those are like, uh, if you remember back in 2016, the biggest controversy was superdelegates. Uh, that is exactly how most people were explaining that the DNC was rigging the election towards Hillary Clinton because it, at the beginning of the race, she had something like, I want to say, 200 to 300 more delegates than Bernie, super delegates than Bernie Sanders because, and the race hadn't even started. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that changed from 2016 to 2020. In 2016, the super delegates uh, voted right away, but then in uh, 2020, they now have to go into a brokered convention for them, for their vote to matter. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's a lot of information. <laughs> so, I'll just take a little breather and, and see like what what do you think maybe I haven't covered more or less. Yeah, I think you covered it pretty well. So we went from the from the county level um, after deciding who were the delegates and then you send those delegates to the national convention, right? And it's there that those those pledged delegates. Yeah. Well, they sorry. We're going to have a state convention first. So then those delegates does like the state kind of picks some delegates from each county and they go to represent their candidate 
at a national level. So yeah, there, there is that extra step between county, state, national. And then national. So then when we end up at national, that's where we have pledged delegates. And if at that point, one specific candidate doesn't have uh, enough delegates to reach the, the number that they need to get the nomination, that's where superdelegates come into play, right? Yes, that's exactly right. Um, and I need to double check what, how many candidates you need to win. But uh, there is a certain number. I think it's over a thousand, something like that. Um, sorry about that. I should have that number. But um, yeah, if so, they don't, if ni neither of them reach that number, then which would be basically a tie, then they would go into a broker convention. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, the superdelegates come into play. So, so can you go into who these superdelegates are? Like, who gets? How do you decide who gets this this very important vote? So this is where it gets undemocratic. Um, superdelegates are basically party insiders. So uh, a couple of examples of superdelegates in El Paso, in like the superdelegates that El Paso County has, is Beto O'Rourke and Veronica Escobar. Mm -hmm. So that's more or less the kind of people you're expected to see across the country, you know, um, career politicians or party insiders or party donors or uh, just lawyers, judges, things like that, um, people like that. So it's not usually, you know, someone picked that random with the, from within the party or anything like that. Um, so obviously, like in 2016, because they're a certain type of person, they have certain types of biases. Mm -hmm. So they they would, if in the case of a broker convention, it's very unlikely that Bernie, Bernie Sanders would not win. Mm -hmm. Joe Biden has more uh, allies within the within the the, the Democratic establishment. Um, to give you an example of that, when um, there's a quote of Veronica Escobar saying that she would not give her superdelegate vote to Bernie Sanders even if he was the clear winner, mm -hmm. which is just a Again, like I said earlier, it's an. I think at that point, it's a matter of whether or not you believe democratic tools are the way to go. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to say that because we live in the United States, which is usually a country where people say, oh, we have such a strong democratic system. It's so robust. It's such a great system, the federalist system and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, liberty and freedom. But in, in the truth is, is that we have a very kind of mixed system where we have uh, elites, for lack of a better word, choosing, um, having, having more of, a, of their finger on the scale when it comes to choosing leaders within mm -hmm. parties. So let me see. Uh, they're yeah, not so, super, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so, so essentially these, these pledged delegates to go in there, they're res representing a certain number of people from the place where they come from, right? So they're representing a precinct or, or the section of a precinct. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So, so these people are representing, these delegates, pledged delegates are representing a body of people, but these superdelegates are one person representing their personal political beliefs with their vote. Um, I technically, no, like ideally, they're supposed to vote in the best interest of the party. That's kind of the idea. It's mm -hmm. the same reason that we have the delegate system for the the general, right? 
mm-hmm. but that's ran by the actual federal government. The, the philosophy behind it is that the, it's to prevent what they call tyranny of the many, which sounds very counterintuitive, right? Like kind of <laughs> a fear of a mob, basically, that somehow uh, the American public will not always vote in their own best interest. Mm-hmm. So there has to be someone responsible and professional and who, someone who knows what they're doing, basically, to, to make sure that we elect smart leaders. Mm-hmm. Now, people may be questioning the validity of that logic, seeing as how the past 20 years we've seen that system err in the side of Republicans. Mm-hmm. and particularly George W. Bush in 2000, or it was in, um, yeah, and um, Trump just recently. So people say, especially with the case of Trump, it's supposed to be that the super delegates, um, this delegate system is supposed to help us from ever falling into a populist trap. But obviously that's not true because that is exactly what's happening right now. We're uh, ruled by a right-wing populist government um, this automatic delegates, they are not required to pledge their support to any presidential candidate. So yeah, essentially, they're private to making their decision based on any personal choice. Mm-hmm. As you said, they don't represent any community. They don't represent any like physical count. Um, and they're not accountable to any body of people that they're no, supposed to be representing. No, they're, they're only accountable to the Democratic National Committee, right? The mm-hmm. institution that's given them this power. It's supposed to be a system in place to protect the institution from that for, for an intervention. I mean, to put it one way. Mm-hmm. Um, automatic delegates include members of the Democratic National Committee, the Democratic members of Congress, Democratic governors or distinguished party leaders, Mm-hmm. including former presidents and vice presidents. So, I mean, literally, it is just super delegates are basically the democratic insight, like the core, like what you would call like the core of the party, the party leadership and the party heads and and the important uh, mem- like uh, serving members of the government who are in the party. Um, so the the Unity Reform Commission that was followed by the 26th presidential election was to revise the this nomination process. And one of the things they were really focused on was reducing the number of power of automatic delegates. From what I've read and heard, I understand that the Sanders team wanted to do away with them altogether, you know, just do the raw um, majority wins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we got instead is um, well, we're, we're, uh, they're banning automatic delegates or super delegates from voting on the first ballot. And then if at a contested national convention, if that ballot remains contested, then they vote. But if not, then it would just be up to the delegates that we send up there. But then again, you know, the problem with the other type of delegates, not just super delegates, there's a problem with delegates in general, and that's that that person then holds your vote in their hands. And mm-hmm. let's say maybe they're representing Joe Biden or they're representing Bernie and they don't particularly care for that candidate, especially in the national convention, when if it comes to a broker convention, you could have a lot of delegates from one 
part from one um, camp go to another, and mm. then that's how it's decided. So that's not a very, you know, then your boats were basically flipped. Is essentially what's happening. So you're essentially uh, saying that someone could go in there representing a precinct that voted for Bernie Sanders, and then they show up at the convention and say, "Never mind, I'm going to vote for Biden." Yeah. Um, yeah, at the national level, basically, yes. You could have someone go, um, let's say he goes to a worker convention and let's say Biden just needs five or six more delegates to win. And your guy just doesn't really believe in Bernie all that much. Mm-hmm. So he flips and that's it. That your, your, your delegate, your representation is now for Joe Biden. That is wild. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Uh, I, I think it's, it's crazy that I mean, it's such a crazy, convoluted, weird system. Uh, I, I, I hope that those people listening at home can make sense of this because it is a weird, weird system. And it is archaic. Archaic is the right word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was a der- thoroughly um, depressing conversation about the state of our democracy, so-called democracy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we could... Um, kind of go back for a second and talk about, you talked about the process overall and touched on it a bit on um, how COVID-19 has affected the entire um, primary process. And I, I think we could probably go back and discuss a little more about, um, you know, the, the more severe implications of it. As you mentioned, there are still a lot of um, states that have not done their primaries yet. And the reason for some of this is because some of it has, has to be has had to be postponed due to, you know, the, the severe risk that people would be facing by going out to vote. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know if you want to share a little bit about that, about how the process has been affected um, by COVID-19, which states opted to have their primaries in spite of the virus, which ones postponed them, which ones canceled them altogether. We could go into that. Okay, yeah, definitely. Um, I could go right into that. Uh, so I think the the most important thing to note or the the most interesting aspect of it is some states have canceled voting in person altogether, which I find, I'm not a medical expert or anything like that, but I find that to be probably the most responsible thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's just to do not have polling stations. It is just, I mean, voting is basically a congregation of people. Like, you know, we're talking about how in Texas we, we had people in Houston waiting like eight to nine hours. So people will gather in large masses for voting. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the, there's an aspect of like, people don't want to go out to vote because they don't want to go risk their lives. So then, you know, voices aren't heard that way. So I feel like it's unfair to put pressure on people to go vote. So I will take the moment to say whether or not your state has um, canceled in-person voting, you can do voting through your mailing ballot, uh, the rules on that is different depending on the state. And your state may have just recently changed rules because of the COVID-19. So I'd encourage anyone who, who needs to, who wants to vote, but who needs to vote, you know, who wants to vote, but does not know how to go about it should go into their government county websites. Um, and then you will find, you will find all that information. The states who have canceled voting in person is uh, Ohio, Alaska, Wyoming, and Hawaii. Uh, states that have those states have also pushed their their um, primary dates. So most of those 
uh, Ohio will be now on April 28th. Alaska is now on April 10th. And Wyoming is on April 17th. Hawaii is on May 22nd. Other states that have pushed their primaries to later dates are Georgia, Puerto Rico, Louisiana, Maryland, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New York, Indiana, and Kentucky. New York is now the, the last primary in the is going to be happening on June 23rd. So, yeah, the election still has a long way to go. Um, it, it has a longer way to go now. Um, so that that is kind of how it's been changing things. I think that the most responsible thing the states can do is encourage mail-in ballots because really they're the, we don't know the extent of the spread of the virus at this point and we cannot you know, risk people's lives for when, they, when elections can be held in other ways. Mm -hmm. So yeah, obviously that's had, had a big impact on the actual process of voting in several different states, the virus I'm talking about. Um, I think it's also had a very large impact in terms of um, obviously, it's affecting every aspect of our lives, and so it's it's um, affecting how the how Joe Biden and and Bernie Sanders have had to campaign. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when we were talking about this yesterday and kind of discussing what we were going to be talking about today, the idea came up of what we kind of called this um, culture of, of visual politics, right? And so, yeah, and it's something that's I think really, really been brought to light with the our current administration that it tends to not matter so much what your actual policies are but what people interpret to be your policies or whether or not people like you if they perceive you to be electable or likable um so yeah. so yeah if you wanted if you have anything to elaborate about about the culture of vis visual politics and how that idea comes into play specifically right now with COVID-19 sure yeah, um, I think, and I'm sure, I think there's other names for it, but we'll just call it that because that's what we've named it, uh, like culture of official politics. Um, basically, the I think the most, um, what's the word? The most uh, illustrative example you can think of is Donald Trump himself. He mm -hmm. ran his 2016 campaign entirely on style, uh, all about his personality, all about his person all about the way he talks, all about the way he would uh, put down other candidates and not so much about how he was going to actually do things. Like, how is he going to, he hasn't built the wall really even. Mm -hmm. but it doesn't matter because it's all about the presentation and having it, things done in a way that appeals to the people who it appeals to. So mm -hmm. I think it's something that's risen out of television. Uh, it started with television, I think. And it's really hit like a, a new height with the internet mm -hmm. and Trump's ability to use Twitter and um, yeah, the constant domination of the 24 hour news cycle. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you see that with Biden and Bernie and other candidates. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk a little more about that with me. Or... <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, something I thought of while you were speaking was um that specifically has to do with the media and how they represent different candidates is this idea that we talk about sometimes in Sunrise with our own personal issues is the idea of manufactured consent, right? And so mm -hmm. 
Uh, we've experienced it here in El Paso with issues that Sunrise El Paso tries to take on. And I think it's uh, particularly relevant in terms of, of you know, um, the presidential elections mm. where you have the media saying moderates will vote for Joe Biden. And, you know, I, I, I guess some people have their own personal reasons for wanting to vote for Joe Biden, but I think from a policy standpoint, a lot of people don't even particularly care about what Joe Biden has to say, but because the media is saying Joe Biden is the safe choice, he is the moderate choice, he's the one that's going to be electable, the media has already created by, you know, by, um, by saying these things in the media, they kind of predict an outcome that they are creating by saying those predictions, you know? Yeah. And so um, that, that would be my contribution to the topic of, of what were we talking about? Uh, <laughs> the um, culture of visual politics is, yeah, is cultural visual. Which the media is basically another, um, can be, can act as an arm of propaganda for, you know, the democratic system for, you know, just the United States government as a whole or for whatever corporate interests is that the media can really act not, not as, um, unbiased journal journalists but as an as an arm to enact certain outcomes yeah they, they're kind of well they're talking about like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy right if everyone mm -hmm. says oh joe biden's gonna win then well everyone starts <laughs> believing it and then people yeah. stop well one of two things can happen sometimes what happens when someone tells you your candidate's gonna lose is that it makes you want to push harder right mm -hmm. the other thing that can happen is that you become apathetic and you give up so it, it it's a strategy that can backfire. Mm -hmm. uh, you can look at that way the media used that strategy to make it seem like Donald Trump lost in 2016. Yeah, I mean, it seems like such a long time ago, but there was a point in time where everyone was fairly certain that Hillary Clinton had it in the bag. Yeah. Just everyone was talking about it. And the reality was something else. And so sometimes this doesn't work, but there's definitely a sense of a repetition here on how the media is trying to play a role in the, in the election and it brings into question you know what what for and what their real interest lies where their real interests lie in in uh, covering it mm -hmm. um i think it's interesting for example one of the things that the media changed and the way they started portraying the election this year from 2016 in 2016 a lot of it was very much like right out the gate, oh, it's, it's Hillary's game. And in this, in this case, back in 2019, uh, there wasn't a lot of excitement around Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, there was definitely a lot of coverage and there was definitely a preference from him over Sanders in the coverage. But really a lot of the focus was how is Bernie gonna, you know, it, it was like propping up Bernie against more challenges, right? Like pushing the goalposts on and on and having all these things that, oh, how can he ever get over everything? Mm -hmm. And the first thing that was is, oh, look at all these young Bernie types. Like uh, oh, at the very beginning, like, oh, Pete Buttigieg, you know, he's um, a progressive from South Bend, Indiana, and he's gonna, he's a gay mayor and in a conservative state. And he's, he's like a young Bernie or Kamala Harris, mm -hmm. who, who's African-American or um, Tulsi Gabbard, well, actually, she was pretty ignored as well, but but she was mentioned in articles like this, Tulsi Gabbard and Cory Booker, and how there was all these 
fresh young faces from the Democratic Party. And so it's no longer Sanders versus the establishment. It's like all his ideas are, are mainstream. Like that was really like a, a lot of what I remember it being presented as. Mm-hmm. When we all know now that all those Bernie type kind of moderate Democrats became like very obviously just moderate Democrats because of their policies. Mm-hmm. The only one you could ever argue ever had an actual um, contrasted platform from a more left point of view is Warren. But if you dig into her plans, which is interesting to say because people are always talking about how many plans she has, mm-hmm. a lot of them do not have the fiscal sense that you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't get too into it because um, this isn't like an anti-Warren podcast or anything like that but yeah but um yeah yeah like there there was some there's some issues with her her implementation policy um but yeah i think that can really be kind of just highlighted in the fact that uh, like this is a thing that people like to bring up that i think very obviously states it is that she is very pro capitalist and she openly says that she is in in a way to contrast herself from bernie has openly said that she is pro capitalism yeah, she's capitalist to the bone, I, I believe is the yeah, exact quote. what she said. Um, no, and, and that absolutely has a big difference, right? Like, at least there, that plays into part of what a primary is meant to do, which is you're supposed to have this presentation of different ideas and um, beliefs within the Democratic Party and contest them, and supposedly the majority, the strongest ideas win. Mm-hmm. And then those ideas go on to fight with other ideas from other parties, and then whatever the nation decides. Of course, this is a very idealized version of it, since we've talked about how there's delegates in between, and how there's super delegates, and how well there's only two parties and this two-party system. I don't even get me started on the first-past-the-post system. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the essentially essential conclusion of our our discussion of the of the role of the media is that is that they have a role in in deciding outcomes yeah Uh, go ahead and yeah sorry and and another good conclusion to draw from it is that it's because it's a visual medium and because we all like to see things like newsprint is not really a thing anymore most people in the left like to consume things through like night show type things or watching news cycles and people on the right there's a lot of uh, a lot, especially in the older generations, just uh, CNN, uh, Fox News, Duopoly still exists for mm-hmm. the older generations. And uh, for younger people, it's just the internet, you know, tweets and videos and things like that. So it's a lot about what you perceive to see than it is about sitting down and looking at heavy policies. Uh, for example, you perceive that Pete is progressive because he's gay. Mm-hmm. but he also said things like if he could take a, well, I mean, I won't even say it. I, I, it like, it, it's just, he, he's said things where it's like, it seems very performative. And mm-hmm. I think that's probably the, the biggest um, difference between Bernie Sanders and the average politician nowadays is that he does not sit well in the, in the world of like visual presentation because he's just, very consistent about his message so like he has his own branding and yeah. that's and it really stands out because it's about hey look at all the things i've said consistently all these years because of all mm-hmm. these ideas and plans that i've had have always been the same and they've proven to work 
time and time again for my state mm -hmm. um, and for other countries. Um, but definitely there's um, a lot of people going, oh yeah, I'll take that because that is <laughs> that does work. But then I'll just put like, oh, you know, you can't have the one single payer system. We need to moderate things. And that's where you have the, the reality clashes with the presentation. Mm -hmm. But most people still see Biden as someone who's pro-healthcare. A lot of people who vote for Biden put uh, healthcare and the climate crisis as like their top issues. Mm -hmm. But you look at his plans and they're not, they're not, they're not um, they even considered really democratic policies. Like they're not any different from Republicans, um, from a moderate Republican really. And you basically have what is a dissonance between voters seeing what they see as Joe Biden in the ads and Joe Biden, the Obama uh, vice president, and Joe Biden, the public figure, as opposed to Joe Biden's actual political record. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so something I'd like to go back to, the, you were talking about the way that um, Bernie is represented in the media, and I think this kind of has a lot to do with um, the idea of Bernie versus the establishment, right? So there are a lot of people who claim that the way that Bernie Sanders is represented in the media is not fair to him at all, that they like to, you know, blatantly misrepresent things that he says or just completely cut him out of, of uh, airtime that other candidates might get. And so um, this goes, you know, as, as to kind of go back to the question of why this is still important to talk about, is that um, Bernie Sanders is not just important for for this election cycle but in all of election cycles because like you know for various election cycles and for our politics political systems as a whole um because the same challenges that bernie sanders was seeing with the media with his representation and you know with the the democratic party this this election cycle was the same as you know some of the some of the obstacles he faced with his last bid for the presidential nomination um so, you know, that's, I think that's part of the reason why this is still important to talk about is that Bernie Sanders is, you know, um, a lot of people consider him to be a true progressive um, in contrast to the people who, as you were saying, who ran in this time with, it looked like such a diverse field, but in reality, they were all just basically, you know, they had a lot of the same policies or a lot of, you know, equally problematic policies just wrapped in a different package. Yeah, and, and now a lot of them, despite their heavy, 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 especially, I, particularly, I want to point out Kamala Harris, hit Joe Biden very hard on his segregation record. She still endorsed him. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of the day, as we were discussing, it's more about, it was more about her presenting herself as an alternative to Joe Biden than mm -hmm. it was about having a difference of policy. In the end, she's okay with his policies. Mm -hmm. She's just wanted to be president first um she thought she had a shot and maybe she did uh in a different maybe more years from now unfortunately i think there will still be a lot of space for people like kamala harris to run in the national platform mm -hmm. um, i think that's why it's important to remember the struggle now is that somebody who is very welcomed by the democratic party is probably not going to be your best friend yeah, not at this point. Um, and it's important to note too. It's like this a lot. This problem with the Democratic Party isn't going to go away with like Bernie Sanders going away. 
mm-hmm. or with um you know getting trump out of um getting trump out of office it, it it's um it is it is a symptom of a bigger problem within the democratic party and within political discussion in the united states uh, like i said it's not just democrats who have this issue of image it's also republicans i know republicans on the right uh particularly more of the um constituents tend to really complain about left and identity politics and you know basically we're talking about image over substance Mm -hmm. when they themselves really like to engage in it like trump embraces all the imagery of patriotism and religious religiousness without actually genuinely participating in any of it Mm -hmm. so it's it's this weird like fox cultural war we're playing for for what real motive uh, one can only wonder mm-hmm. um, but yeah i mean like it's it's about the problems the ideas they the ideas that bernie represents are genuine concerns and, and grievances that the, that people have and those the more we ignore those the more it's going to present itself in different political uh, phenomena one of those being trump a uh, trump has partially been pushed by uh, an anger and economic anxiety of the right and of of, of a poor white southerners and other other segments of the population who feel left out who have been left out and who have been ostracized and they see nationalism as an escape because that is a, that is a true alternative having a stronger more nationalist government having um stronger ethno ethno state like type rule mm-hmm. that's gonna be appealing to people the more and more that our current system does not provide does not meet the challenges that the people are facing mm-hmm. those are the real alternatives to what is the basically neoliberal center mm-hmm. is either socialism or or nationalism and we're going to see more and more of that as the United States continues to fail as a state, as it has been with COVID-19, we're already seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already seen in the past with like Hurricane Katrina, um, there was not, uh, white neighborhoods formed like uh, militias. white nation- militias. Yeah, white nationalist militias. <laughs> and, you know, people do do these things. This, these are real, like, this, this is how people respond. People respond with either they, they close in on their circle or mm-hmm. they reach out to each other and, and address it as a collective. Like, yeah, and I think on the other hand, like obviously nationalism is unfortunately a place that people turn to as an outlet. Um, on the other hand, we have, you know, movements that are that are like ours and part of Bernie Sanders, which is another reason why he's so important is that with, with or without a Bernie Sanders nomination or presidency, um, that's not going to take away all of the people across the country who have been radicalized and who have joined grassroots grassroots um, organizing because of the Bernie Sanders campaign. And there is no way to take away those victories or those that involvement in that true grassroots movement, regardless of how much, you know, tempering with the democratic systems that you do. Yeah. Sorry. I, I know we were going on this topic for a while, but yeah, we were, it's, been gone. <laughs> It's just we can cut it up later. <laughs> I was just gonna say one more thing. It's just it's also like we're a group of people that are not ideologically like linked the way more established Democrats and Republicans are. Like mm-hmm. we're not not all people on the Bernie camp are like 
all subscribe to one monolithic like idea. We're we're all kind of banded together behind basic human guarantees like healthcare and uh, paid medical leave. Um, or sorry, um, child uh, paid child care leave. Sorry, that that's it. Uh, you know, a right to abortion, um, a right for um, a jobs guarantee. Things like that, you know, it's more about basic ideas of, of assisting the working class and the people who support these ideas come from different backgrounds from different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's it's important to to realize that that movement is not going to go away, and that movement is not going to keep coming back to a system that keeps spurning them. Yeah, that that's a real that's that's true, and it's something that I think a lot of people are facing with is that by by not having Bernie Sanders as the nominee or by you know pushing back so much you've really ostracized a lot of people from the Democratic Party you know like there has always or for a long time there has been this idea that the Democratic Party are the good guys or they're the lesser of two evils and I think a lot of people are starting to wake up to the idea that they shouldn't have to choose between the lesser of two evils or that the Democratic Party is you know not actually their friend um so, you know, I think the Democratic Party has, in a way, kind of screwed themselves over by, you know, doing this, so. Yeah, no, um, and most Americans already don't participate in the electoral system, and most Americans don't trust the government or government institutions. So mm -hmm. we've definitely hit a point where you have basically a, system, a, a, a political climate where populists are really the only people that can kind of draw excitement because no one is excited about what's already happening yeah <laughs> no one thinks that what's going on is great and and i think that's the biggest flaw in the biden camps claims that everyone want like we want we just want to go back to obama era we just want to go back no i mean We're that is normalcy that is how you get trump because mm -hmm. there's already a system that is like stagnant that is festers apathy that festers people like people who do not believe in the system. I mean, like, there's so many people who voted for Obama in 08 who were very, very disappointed. And mm -hmm. he did not get the same kind of support in 2012. He's like, he he went, he stayed on through the strength of, of being the incumbent, really. Mm -hmm. That's really important to talk about, um, you know, coming back to from our environmental perspective. Um, what Joe Biden offers is a return to the status quo. And that is exactly what, you know, the Sunrise Movement nationally and what, you know, climate movement all over the world internationally is trying to fight back against because the status quo is what got us into this situation in the first place. Yeah, the medical system is not prepared for a pandemic and we're seeing it right now. And the medical system would not have been really prepared for a pandemic like this 10 years ago either. To be honest, like we had the same kind of supply system that we have now, you know, where uh, hospitals work at full, uh, at the most like cost efficient capacity. So that means that they only order supplies as needed. Mm -hmm. So that places a system for shortages. Same thing with grocery stores, you know, you don't order, you order as you're meeting demand in order mm -hmm. to not spend more than you need that quarter, which like I'm like, we're talking about now, we're experiencing the, the the backlash of that we're experiencing the negatives of those types of systems mm -hmm. um, yeah and i think that's a really great transition to um you know our last topic talking about how 
Bernie Sanders and Biden have reacted in this times of in these times of crisis, and um, you know um, they both release plans, and there you know some you know big similarities between the not so specific parts of ensuring that people have food through increasing you know school food supplying projects and things like that. But Bernie Sanders has really used this as an opportunity to emphasize why our healthcare system, you know, regardless of pandemic or not, our healthcare system is failing us mm-hmm. and it is was completely unprepared to handle a pandemic. Um, and so he's really used this as an argument for why we need Medicare for all. Um, I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Um, I'll, if I can just interject then with a little thought, uh, it's it is it is like I mean, ideally, campaigns are are represented represented by like movements of people, right? That's what it is. A campaign is a movement of people, mm-hmm. and we're we're moving to elect someone to lead that that manifestation, right, of the people. So, mm-hmm. like, how are, how is Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden representing their movements that they supposedly represent, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they responding? What are the ideas that they're having, and what they're, what they're generating as a, as a group of thinkers? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think one of the most important things about Bernie Sanders, as why he's been uh, looked up to to lead our this movement for so long, is his kind of like very almost um, obvious response to things, like nonsensical, very straightforward responses, like. He's like, listen to the goddamn experts, always. Mm-hmm. Listen to the scientists. Listen to, it's a pandemic. Listen to the doctors. Mm-hmm. That's really like, let them lead. It's your, it, being a leader is knowing when to step back. Mm-hmm. Right. And that goes back to his response. I, I kind of got my train of thought again. Um, mm-hmm. have, holding these roundtables, which for those of you listeners who haven't heard, Bernie Sanders has been um, regularly, regularly on um TV, releasing videos through his campaign. Um, you know, he was sending out texts to his his um, donors asking them to donate not to his campaign, but to different relief organizations. And, you know, during those roundtables, he would invite um, doctors and, you know, other medical workers, researchers, um, people who are on the front nice. lines of the crisis to talk about the crisis instead of, you know, him being up there talking for them. Right. And so while Bernie Sanders was doing this, and our actual president was um, on TV saying mostly nonsense. Um, Biden, yeah, prom- promoting just, fake cures. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Biden was just you know nowhere to be found, which you know resulted in the the hashtag trending. Where's Joe? Or what, what was that? Yeah. Um, I think it is. Where's Joe? I don't know. <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to remember. So many so, things are happening. I know it's hard to remember a hashtag, but. Yeah, so essentially Joe Biden is being pushed on us as this candidate who is supposed to be stable and, you know, good in a crisis because he's already been in the White House before and has so much experience. And yet when our country is facing a crisis, he disappeared. So my final point on this issue about, um, well, I don't know about final point, but tying it back to the environmental movement. um, When we face, you know, climate change, we have to think about who we want to lead us through through a crisis, really, because that's what climate change is going to present us with. With it's going to be um, a series of crises, and it's not a matter of mm-hmm. if or when, because when is now. There are already people right now facing the very real effects of climate change. It's just going to be a matter of how bad and how are we going to handle it. So, Absolutely. so yeah, that's why. 
I think it's really important to look at at what leadership in the time of crisis looks like. And, you know, I think Bernie Sanders going out there and giving the microphone to experts is what we need in a time of crisis. Yeah, and it's crazy to even say that because it seems like such a no-brainer, right? Kind of resonating with what you said before, this is a model on how these candidates would respond to a crisis. And a climate crisis is going to be much, much uglier. I mean, not not to say that, the, you know, not to minimize the impact of the pandemic or anything. It is a very horrifying event and it is affecting a lot of people's lives. And mm-hmm. it is killing people. But the environmental, the catastrophe that is impending, is going to, you know, completely, we're going to see complete collapses of ecosystems. We're seeing you know, at least in the pandemic, the solution is staying home. At least part of it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we're having we're talking about a situation where entire living centers, you know, urban centers are going to be un- uninhabitable. We're talking about mass migration mm-hmm. as as part of the issue of of uh, not resolving climate change. So, yeah, absolutely. Like, if they can't how they handle this situation is how they're going to handle future situations. And we have to pay attention to what that means. And absolutely. Bernie Sanders is the only one Mm -hmm. who is clear headed enough to say, you know, doctors know what the hell they're talking Mm -hmm. about. Uh, Medical experts know what the hell they're talking about. We need to empower the medical system. We need to make it stronger, more robust, not just for pandemics but in general. Most of our people are uninsured. Most mm-hmm. of Americans don't go to the hospital until it's an emergency, no matter what their mm-hmm. issue is. Like, you know, we know this. We know these are issues, and no one's really done. No one's been the leader on them. No one except yeah. Bernie. Yeah, and I think Bernie Sanders' leadership really, and his, you know, his record, which is something we're gonna go out, go into about in a later podcast episode. I think you know his record and the difference between. Um, as you put it on our on our outline, tokenism and intersectionality. So, if you look at Biden's uh, COVID nineteen plan, he has a he has a little paragraph at the end talking about how the climate crisis relates to COVID nineteen and like yada yada. And you know, Bernie doesn't have anything in his plan, but for as far as I'm concerned, whatever Biden writes in his you know you know whatever paragraph he puts in his plan, it doesn't make a difference that he that he doesn't have the record to back up him actually, you know, making any substantial policy or change in regards to the climate. Yeah. And so, you know, and Bernie doesn't have to write a little paragraph at the end of his, um, his, you know, his plans to prove that he has the environmental movement in mind in his policy. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not the same because we've, we know where they stand on the climate because they've been talking about it for a long time. And it is not genuine to kind of shift like that during a pandemic when it kind of suits you to present yourself as a better alternative for the climate, you know, kind of taking the opportunity when, I mean, as Sunrise, as an organization, we'd already did um, a scorecard with a very comprehensive, Mm -hmm. like long list of questions. And yeah, Bernie has an uh, an A minus, I believe, or, he has the highest score, which is mm-hmm. a big reason why he got an endorsement from us, which, by the way, um, the way Sunrise's endorsement works is that we have a boat, basically, and all, like, 
involved members voted on it. So it was a completely a democratic process. And um, mm -hmm. I mean, it makes sense that he won it because he got the best score. Uh, Biden, mm -hmm. I think he got an F on the same on the same um, test. Same scorecard. On the same score, yeah, I scorecard. Yeah, I mean, on yeah. every issue, like on on the environment, and even considering healthcare issues, you know, Biden can say in his plan that he's for allowing people to have treatment for free during COVID nineteen, or allowing vaccines to be sold at a reasonable cost. When you look at his campaign contributions, he has some of the highest number of campaign contributions from the pharmaceutical industry. And so it makes you really question where his loyalties lie aside from the words that come out of his mouth, where where his actual money comes from tells you who who he's beholden to. Yeah. No, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you're looking at it from the lens of like, what are pharmaceutical companies and other like uh, medical industry provide, uh, leaders doing now? And you're seeing like masks and other supplies being price gouged. And then you have like, mm -hmm. I mean, you're seeing a, a collapse of the federal system and the state system that we have in the sense that like we have states like basically bidding on each other for supplies. Like what kind of dystopia is that? <laughs> like, that shouldn't, that shouldn't be the determining Yeah, factor. there are so many. I feel like we could talk forever about all the things that are individually wrong with our healthcare system like you know even when a vaccine is developed it's going to be a whole another question of whether or not people will have access to it it is a real thing in in this country that science gets funded by taxpayer money and then gets patented by by pharmaceutical companies who make all of the money off of it and mm -hmm. who sell them at ridiculous prices and so um for me to believe that Biden would enact any sort of policy that would go against pharmaceutical companies' um, profits is, is just hard for me to believe. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. I I guess my like my my uh, final thoughts on on why this is still a topic that should be talked about and discussed about a lot, um, and mm -hmm. to think about it in the context of this pandemic, is that these ideas and these conversations need to happen because of what we're seeing because the system is not where people are currently dying who did not need to die because of failure to act because of a failure of providing resources and the failure of having any sort of response kind of having everyone responding from an individual level really because even now business owners sort of have a lot of power on whether or not they're opening close because the city's not really enforcing a lot. Not that that necessarily is the only thing that's wrong and the only reason why the virus is spreading, but there definitely needs to be an address of, of these issues. And, and uh, it needs to happen all the time because when things get rough, like now, it's going to come back to mm -hmm. bite us. Like, and it's going to affect our lives. So we need someone who's fighting for these ideas we need someone who's fighting for the green new deal who's fighting for medicare for all who's fighting for mm -hmm. for real like sweeping change as opposed to who's fighting for what is the status quo and really really like take a long hard look at what we're gonna do you know how we're we gonna choose and how we're gonna move forward and regardless of who wins the election um these things are gonna affect people's lives for a long time Mm -hmm. And it's going to change the way the country's going to go. So, yeah, I mean, this debate needs to happen. This 
the contrast of leadership needs to happen. I mean, we live in a democracy. You're supposed to put in effort into where your country is. Like you're not ruled, you're not governed by some appointed king who's born to rule you. You know, you're supposed to be helping run the country yourself. And that comes with a responsibility I think Americans often ignore. And it is our responsibility to address why we failed as a country in this particular situation and who mm -hmm. and assess who our leaders are. Yeah, and I think it's, that's why it's important for us to, you know, talk about the, the qualities that make a true progressive candidate, right? Because it, it goes beyond just it, Bernie Sanders. There are lots of local elections, state elections, where there are very, very important races that are happening. And so it's important to recognize these true leaders and who are actually out here fighting for us. So, yeah, unless you have anything else to add, Luis, I think we can kind of wrap it up. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. This is something that we should continue discussing. And like I said, the primary is still going on for a very long time. And we need to assess and discuss and, and really think hard about who we're electing. This isn't some game show, you know, as much as we did elect the game show um, president. This, this is a part of civic life that should be more examined and that people should take more seriously. So we hope that this helps mm -hmm. navigate some of what the election is in the first place. That's kind of what we were trying to do, navigate uh, what the Democratic primary even is and address the most immediate thing, which is COVID-19 and how it's important because of that, how, how the intersecting of these two issues, really. So mm -hmm. we look forward to talking more about the election then. Right. Yeah, th thank you all for joining us. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast and we look forward to talking about these issues further in, in future podcasts. Yep, definitely. Thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. Don't I, forget to stay home and wash your hands. Yeah, stay home and wash your hands and touch your face.